Hello and welcome to Between the Mountains Travel Podcast with me, Chris. Today we welcome Rachna onto the show. She recently went to Socotra, which is an island just off the coast of Yemen, owned by Yemen. And she talks to us about her incredible journey there for a week, camping out on the sand underneath the stars, going to the lagoons, meeting the people. It was a really, really fun session to record. I hope you enjoy it too. If you'd like to be on the show, then please do get in touch. My contact details are in the show description, but otherwise you can email me on btmtravelpod at gmail.com. Otherwise, let's get straight into it. So hello, Rajna. Thank you so much for coming to us to talk about us, uh, Yemen. Hi. Hi, Chris. It's nice to be here. Perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, Yemen's not a destination that, you know, many people would think of. You probably would not think of it in the summer or any time of the year, actually. But um, it's somewhere uh, more, 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 more than Yemen, just a small island off the coast of Yemen and right at the tip of the Horn of Africa. Uh, is the island Socotra. Lovely. That's, yeah, that's that's where I've been two months ago, and it's amazing. I think it, it's I you, you won't find it on many go-to places at all, but it's also been part of National Geographic's. It's a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Um, the whole island itself, and um, it's got it's got a lot of cool things. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. I mean, how did the holiday come about? So I think um, as 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 travelers and adventurers do, you kind of look for new places and you know, off off beaten places to go to. And um, I was scouring Google Maps a couple of years ago, just kind of trying to find places, and I came across this lagoon. It's called Ditwa Lagoon, if any of you look it up. And the topography there, it's amazing. Like you'd you'd want to go there like you'd be like wow this is this is some place especially if you love the water and you love beaches so i was fascinated by it um by it like five years ago and since then i realized that you know there was no way to get into the island because of all the civil war that's been ongoing for the past four years or so and it was only last october that i found out that well they've started weekly flights from cairo and that's kind of how you get in yeah that's also the only way and you mentioned the topography. What kind of what are we expecting there? Are we expecting deep valleys, uh, some small mountains, forests? Uh, you've got you've got everything that you've just mentioned. You've got infinity oh, pools, wow. natural infinity pools. You've got beaches like you've never seen. Um, you've got sand dunes right next to the beaches. You've got really well. You've got like mountains which are about thing with an elevation of two hundred. Yeah, around uh, sorry, two thousand meters. Just about two thousand meters. One point eight. Um, it, it's really got everything. It's got forests. It's got valleys that you can get lost in. It's got valleys full of dragon blood trees, and uh, m- many of you might have heard dragon blood trees are are really rare, and they're really well known for their resin, the resin that comes out when you cut a tree bark or like the trunk. Yeah. And and yeah, it was it was just amazing to see full valleys of them. Fantastic. So weekly flights from Cairo. Is there anything else we need to know as far as entry requirements go? Yeah, well, actually, the current companies that are working there, um, there are just probably just a few, maybe about two or three of them. They w- once you once you kind of express your interest, they help you with the visas, which are done rather easily. They cost about 170 USD per person and they do them for you right there and it's open for all nationalities i mean unless you're coming from israel i think um uk i had people from the uk from the us in my group so if people have you know questions about whether if i if i'm a us citizen and then you know 
you know, they face trouble at the airport while they're returning from Yemen. It's not happened so far with most of the travelers who've been there, at least not in the past year. So I think that's a bit of a relief for most. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they work with the visas, they get your flights done. So the flights are weekly flights from Cairo. So you probably have to arrive. So it's on a Wednesday every week. Yeah. You arrive um, kind of like at least a day before. And I mean, who doesn't want to see Cairo, right? Absolutely. So I assume most people would want to go a few days in advance, check out the pyramids, um, the museum, and go around Luxor Aswan possibly. And then, yeah, your Wednesday, Tuesday night actually, you board your flight. And it takes a few hours. You're, you land in Seyun for a stopover. Seyun's a small little town in the mainland of Yemen. And with, uh, I think you stop over for about five hours. And after that, you're in Socotra in a short four hours. Wow. Wow, yeah. that's incredible. And as far as you've mentioned so far, it sounds a little bit like a piece of paradise, to be honest. It is. It is. It almost is. It's got everything, like, from, from mentioned, like, from beaches, sand dunes. It's got mountains. It's got infinity pools. It's got dams. You know, I mean, there's, you can find everything on that island. Perfect. So let's go into the itinerary in a, in a bit more depth then. So, so fantastic bit of thunder and lightning there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. So we should probably mention uh, Russian is uh, in Singapore at the moment, which is why you can hear a little bit more of, uh, is, would that be the rainy season coming in or is that just normal and, weather? Well, it's, it's normal weather. It rains. I can actually see, I can actually see like no clouds and I see clear sky. But I can also see a rainbow, which is really strange. And you hear the thunder. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. That's right. It makes for, it makes it's more epic. Yeah. <laughs> Singapore is like that. It it it's it's sunny one minute and the next minute it's raining, and then in two minutes you see a rainbow. Perfect. Perfect. It sounds a bit like Florida in that way. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, so yeah. let's go a bit more in depth then. Um, so uh, day one, what would you get up to on day one? Oh, so, well, the itinerary is planned such that you kind of cover most corners of the island. So the first day we landed, it was, we, we, we reached Socotra just about uh, just early afternoon. We went by Abdullah, who's the owner of the agency, the tour company that I was traveling with. We went by to his house. We had some lunch there. And I think the moment you landed the airport, you know you're in a different place. You know it's not like the Yemen that you've seen crossing over, you know, during the flight. You know, it's nothing like the deserts you've crossed to come from Cairo. It's nothing like Cairo. So it's, it's honestly a lovely, wonderful welcome change. You know, yeah. you, you see mountains, you know, far off in the horizon. At the same time, you see empty roads ahead. And surprisingly, for a place that's, that, that, that's been that cut off for the past few years, the roads are amazing. Wow. Yeah, wow. so UAE has helped them quite a bit with um, the infrastructure recently. So I think that that's helped them quite a bit. Uh, the roads are amazing. So and most the island isn't very big. I think it's just about 107 kilometers from the east to the west. So you could honestly do a lot of it in just two weeks, which is oh, also perfect. part of the eternity. Yeah, I just went for a week because you know, in terms of work, it, it I couldn't afford two weeks of leave, but. It's amazing if you can because the first week, uh, I'll go through some of the highlights that we did do, and in the second week, if you stay on, you also do like more intense hiking up to the mountains and a bit more stuff. So it's it's wonderful. Sounds like I'd be there two weeks. I'd I'd do anything to get the hiking undergo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's it's really truly amazing. I, I'll I'll share some pictures with you guys after. You can also, yeah, I'll, I'll let you know where to go for them. It's yeah, really perfect. Yeah. 
Sure. So, like, on the first day, we went to this Abdullah's house. I mean, everyone's really friendly. The tour guides are actually really properly trained because um, tourism was, the tourism sector was doing quite well in the U.S. before the Civil War. And so everyone's been trained and for, like, years before that. So, you know, everyone, most, most tour guides could speak English wonderfully. They, they understood us really well. Um, as part of our tour group, we also had uh, a guy from Italy who was with us, who was leading the tour group. So, I mean, it, it's pretty easy to communicate with anyone. And Sogotra is not a place where you'd find um, many people going to. You'll find also that people with similar interests are the ones who end up there. Yes. Which is honestly great because you don't because that's the thing about going in a tour and you can only do Socotra as part of a tour group because it's 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 not easy it's not possible to organize the logistics otherwise if you go by yourself. Uh, that's yeah I mean it's the flights and um, visa included you're not going to be able to organize that on your own. So with that um, it's great it's great to have the company do all of that for you, and you know and did they take care of you from from the time they pick you up at the airport till the time to drop you off. So the first day itself, um, when we went, we had lunch at Abdullah's house. And I'm a vegetarian, and there are lots of people who come now who are vegans, and, and all these provisions are made for them. And when you move around with a group, I honestly thought, you know, we, we'd have to be doing a lot of the carrying ourselves because we're um, camping for seven days out in the wild, you know. Yeah. But it was really comfortable because we had the cook with us who would he would set up his go mobile kitchen anywhere <laughs> you know he'd yeah. cook up meals for us right before we went to camp if we were returning from a hike or something we also had um about two tour guides with our group and then three drivers so you're comfortable in a in like an suv with just three people and your bags at the back so it was oh, honestly really really comfortable yeah it was wonderful sleeping in the tent was fine um you know i mean for people who are a lot more experienced it's it's you you you'll find it's kind of like a luxury having mattress set up in your tent with everything provided so it's it's really not um it's it's not too it's not too out there for people who haven't done much camping before to try out either it's not bare so, bones wild camping no 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 yeah you don't even need to bring a sleeping bag honestly because they take care of oh, everything wow. Yeah, you've got Nutella for breakfast, you've got, you know, olive oil for your um, salad dressing. They, they honestly think of a lot of things. Oh, so, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's really nice. So, after Abdullah's house, I mean, we, we traveled to the sand dunes. So, that this, this part of the island, it was right in the west of the island. It's called Arhar. And okay. the Arhar camping site, it's, it's just amazing. The backdrop, like, you can't imagine... I don't know how many of you know, um, would have seen like, you know, there's a show very similar to Temple. It, it had the, it had the um, setup like for Temple Run that was in the game. It was in phones of a while ago. Yes, it was on yeah. TV, on Nickelodeon. Do you know that show? Yes. Yeah. Well, I know the game. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. Well, yeah, the game. And then I remember on Nickelodeon, there used to be a show like that, you know? Yeah. My God, these mountains just look like that. And then right in front of them are these humongous sand dunes. And right in front of you, you have the sea. And the sea, wow. it's, 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 it's lovely, it's blue, it's clear. You've got whales passing by, you've got dolphins passing by. Honestly, you know, the first day you go there, you know you're in paradise. You know? Wow. There are not that many people. I think there are just about 60,000 people living on the island, 40 to 60,000 people living on the island. And they're mostly concentrated in the main towns of Haribo, which is where we landed. And another small town called Kalansia, which is the second biggest town. But they're just kind of scattered a little bit around the island. And most places are 
they, they seem untouched, completely Absolutely. untouched. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you, you'll you'll see when you just do a, like a small search on Socotra, just you know follow follow people's pictures. It's amazing. So I think camping turns out pretty easy. You know, they, everything's set up for you. Your, t- your tents are. You have a. It's easy enough. You know, you just move your stuff in the bag from from the cars to the tent. Um, funny thing happened on the first day. I didn't know what to expect, honestly, because I didn't have all this. We didn't have, we weren't given too much information of what it was going to be like there. We had the basic essentials, like what to bring and stuff like that. But, you know, kind of actually imagining what it would be like. And, you know, just in terms of someone who isn't camped a lot, you just didn't have a lot of information on what to bring. So I was pretty prepared. And I think the night I flew from Cairo, I figured, you know, I'm going to starve because I'm vegetarian. And and, well, while they did say they would help, prepare stuff I was like you know well I'll bring as much stuff as I can from here and I remember picking up a pizza that I was you know not too hungry to finish the first night I mean in Cairo so I had that with me on the plane and I had a bite of a slice may not have been the best idea because the first night I spent (laughs) having an upset tummy and it was it was actually it turned out to be a blessing in disguise in a way because so what happened was here I am out there in the wild. There's there's no light. There's nothing because everyone's out, knocked out. At, you know, this was 3 a.m. I woke up with a tummy ache. And I'm kind of like, my God, I don't know what animals are around. There's no bonfire. There's nothing. And we're all spread out in the sand, you know. And I was right at the edge of the circle. So I was like, okay, well, <laughs> I'm just going to lie here until I can. Anyway, I decided I, I went out. And... Um, I think I sat at the edge of my tent, you know, kind of just contemplating, you know, trying to figure out whether I'm okay and whether to get medicines for myself from my bag, which was in the car. And I remember seeing flashes of light in the ocean, like in the sea in front. I remember seeing flashes of light. So I, was, I just shrugged it off as thinking, you know, I mean, it's fishermen out there who are probably just, you know, trying to do some night fishing or early morning fishing. But it didn't stop. And at some point then I was like, well, it's coming closer, you know, and I thought it was people walking on the beach. And we're just about 100 meters off, right? And I ignored yeah. it because of the pain I was in. But, like, after 20 minutes, I'm like, what are these people turning the light on and off for? Like, I was like, what is going on, right? And I was like, who is walking here at 3 a.m. in the night? And it was, it was nuts. And I, I got up and I went closer to the sea. There was, a, there was a bit of, like, a bush between us and, you know, where the sea was. So you couldn't see that clearly, which is why I thought that. Yeah. So I started walking closer to the sea, um, closer to the beach, right? And... For the first time, I saw waves of bioluminescent plankton just rolling in and having no light, no light turned on around you. I mean, already coming from a city like Singapore, you know, you don't get to see like 180 degree view of the sky. You know, you barely get maybe 100, you know, but like in Socotra, I was already amazed looking up the sky most of the time because my God, it's like... It, it stars from like your left leg to your right leg, you know, it's all the way across. So, so I, so I was, I was looking at the stars most of the time. I was like, who's turning on this light? So I went to the beach and my God, these bioluminescent plankton, not just at the beach, but even as the waves are coming in, like say a hundred, 200 meters out from the beach, they were just rolling waves of green. That's incredible. I, I sat there for one hour that night watching the waves. Because I've been, 
I went to Thailand before and I wanted to see them and you know it was it was pretty sad I saw like four of them (laughs) (laughs) I counted I was like well that was four (laughs) but yeah I mean it's always been a dream to see these and just to see waves of these rolling in and the thing is I didn't expect them because none of the research I I, I did you know stated that they were there or anything like that so I was amazed and I and I really wanted to wake someone up and I was like my god someone's got to see this this is amazing but I was like, well, it's the first day. <laughs> They're going to think I'm <laughs> You don't really want to disturb people at three o'clock in the morning, you know? So, so I told these guys the next morning when I went back. And then, I mean, when, yeah, during breakfast. And, and they were like, wow, you should have woken us up. I think at that moment I knew that, you know, with, you're with the right group of people. Because especially when you're in a tour group, I don't do many of those. But when you are, you know, you, you kind of wonder whether, you know, the group, how the group dynamics is going to be. Because yeah. sometimes yeah. it can break make or break you know your whole trip yeah so i mean it was a wonderful one it, i honestly by the end of the days by the end of the seventh eighth day you should have seen we actually have pictures where on the first day our tents were like about 10 15 meters apart and i think over the few days on the fifth day itself our tents were all lined up right next to each other touching each other because we we're like why are we sleeping so far <laughs> it was it was nice the way the love grew it was nice it was lovely that's lovely yeah it was really nice so we spent two days at Arhar. Um, the first, the next morning, we went to we went for a hike to, up to a cave, which is about um, 500 meters high up in the mountains. Lovely. And yeah, but I mean, it, it's out from the sea. I mean, out from the beach. So it took us about an hour and a half, hour 45 minutes to get there. Yeah. And this cave is of gigantic proportions. I mean, you need it's apparently tens of kilometers long. We just explored just about probably the first 20, 30 meters inside the cave. Um, but it, it's really something, and that's also one of the main water sources. So the water is filtered, and then a lot of villages that are really far off have pipes connecting to the small little lakes in the cave, and then wow. the water is pumped to yeah, villages from across there. So when you travel to Socorro, along by the side of the road, you'll see like tiny black pipes, I mean, probably just like two inches in diameter, that bring all the water to the different villages. Wow. So, yeah, so that's really something. It, it, this this cave was amazing. You can see it all the way from the road. It takes while well, it takes you two hours to get there. It's it's something. It's it's muddy and you need you need proper lights to see in there. But yeah, um, yeah. I don't think many people have explored very deep into it. But I think staying there two weeks, you certainly that's something you could do. It's really um, lovely. So I imagine um, the the walk back was a little bit quicker as well. Oh, for sure. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. And it's and it's not very hard because it's not muddy. It's just rock and then you know it, it's not a very hard climb at all so they've had people who are about 50-ish also try and complete it and they've been okay yeah. you know you don't have to be you don't have to be someone who's really uh like an, on an advanced level to be able to do all this so it was fine i i'm i'm not really either but it was it was lovely and i think for for the view from the cave itself you know for things like that people who are really adventurous and explorer they will do it yeah it was, it was something. And especially, I think, all the way through, um, there, there are these trees which have really funny, well, strange shapes in the way that the, um, the trunk is really big and it's, they're like bottle trees. They're called okay. bottle trees. So the trunks are really thick while the leaves, the branches are really bare minimum. And then you have the leaves which are just pop up at the top of it. Um, these bottle trees are all over Socotro, and, and honestly, they're cute. It's just like leaves growing out of a potato almost. <laughs> <laughs> they're cute. They're lovely. And, and, and the thing is, they're really, really old. So Socotro, one, another special thing about Socotro is that about 40% of the, 
of all the flora and fauna on that island is endemic to that island, which means that it's the only place in the world that has it. Wow. Mm-hmm. 40%. That's so you're going to see some unique things there then? Absolutely. Things, stuff that you cannot see anywhere else in the world. And 40% is quite a lot. I mean, you're walking along and the guides point out stuff to you, you know. So it's not only like the dragon blood trees that are unique. It's got all these other flora and fauna that's also unique. So that's, it's, it's, it's paradise in that way for nature lovers. It's, it's really something. So, I mean, that's that perfect. was great. Yeah. And I think evening. So we... So the, the the routine is, I mean, the schedule is not very, it's not, it's not um, very busy. So you have a lot of time to relax and do the things that you want to do. And I think because it's rather new and tourism is just starting up again on the island, um, the tour operator is also really, really relaxed. And, you know, they're very open to you doing what you want to. So if you want to start to take a thousand pictures, you know, everyone does, honestly, on that, in that place. And they're very open to it. So there's no rush to get from point A to point B. So that's really something that, you know, you feel like you're able to enjoy every bit that you want to. Yeah, it's taken at yeah. a very good pace then. Very, very, very good one. Yeah. So uh, that was the first day. Um, the next, I think we spent the evening more or less coming back to the camp. Um, the, the drivers and the cook and, and you know, the, the, um, the tour guides, they all work really well together. They're, you know, they've grown up together. They're people from the same town, same same village so they know each other really well and they're all really yeah. friendly so you know you have the cook Mubarak cooking for you by the side of the river that goes out into the sea he's cooking there for you you know they're lovely they provide you with tea all the time so Yemen Yemen uh, Yemeni folk are really into their tea like it's almost like a, every few hours a day they want their tea you know and it's, sounds, it's, it's sounds like Britain <laughs> well, yeah, actually, yeah, people might enjoy that a lot. So um, this tea, and you know, he'd be—he was wonderful. He would make us popcorn. He would make us French fries. Yeah, it was—it was lovely before. And my God, the food—it was amazing. All of us—I think none of us left without putting on a couple of pounds. <laughs> yeah. Which you would think the opposite of, because we were doing a lot of movement through the day. But the food, but the food was good. Oh my God, it was it was amazing. You know, there was there was proper cheeses. There was, and then all this stuff comes from the mainland, you know, and from and that's brought in. So I think it's it it happens that whenever um you know the, the tour operators see these at the shops, they just pick them up, you know, for the tourists because you don't want to stay that much out of touch that you're like, well, you don't recognize any of the food I'm eating, you know? Yeah, yeah, uh, but absolutely. It was amazing. Yeah, the kinds of rices you you won't believe. So biryani, I, some of you might be familiar with that that kind of rice. Um, they have like eight different kinds. There was not one day that we ate the same kind of rice, really? and it's all in different colors. Yeah, it's it's just with it's just got to do with the spices they use while they're making it, and it's really something. It's it's really good. So the food Most, food was one of the highlights then. Oh, it's you know that's also something that you you'd not really want to look forward to if it was sucky you know on a trip, but uh, it was it was amazing. And the thing is, being close to a place. Like um, uh, in Insokotra, the flora and fauna, even in the sea, like the seafood that was available, that, you know, the fishermen used to bring out fresh fish from the sea. Yeah. And all of that, uh, lobsters, there was, um, it was everything, there was oysters. I'm, not, I'm vegetarian, but these people were enjoying sea urchins from the sea. It was, it was really something. It was squid. Wow. It was uh, I'll tell you more about that later. It was, you know, that was a whole feast in itself. Oh, wow. So, yeah, honestly, it really was. Um, so I think the evenings are spent pretty chill. You're by the campfire, and these guys are really into the Yemeni music, which is re which 
suits really well with the atmosphere. You really feel like you're nice cut off. You know, it's a refreshing change from, you know, where, you know, from where you are from. And um, you spent the night like that, you know, the stars come on in, in a way that you literally feel like it's a show. You've seen a glorious sunset and then, you know, it's dark and then the stars start to twinkle. And because there's so little pollution, what do you have nearby? You have Yemen, you have Oman and you have Somalia. None of these countries are, are, I mean, other than Oman, they're not very highly populated. So because of that, the amount of pollution that exists in this area is really low. So on clear nights when there's no clouds, my God, it's, it's amazing. More than any other places that I've seen stars, it's really some. It's honestly like a blanket of stars. Wow. That's how you feel. Yeah. Lay down you and you feel like... see the Milky Way like, quite clearly. We did on two days. I feel, uh, yeah, two of my friends phot- photographed it too. Yeah. Oh, wow. It's, yeah. So for me, that's up there with the Northern Lights. So I really want to see the Northern Lights in, in, uh, in, in Norway or Finland or Iceland mm-hmm. or wherever I happen to be lucky enough to see them. But um, I really want to see the Milky Way really clearly. I've got fa- I live in the countryside in the UK, so I've got fairly close before. But, but no, they've been l- lucky on, at, at best. So I really want to do, I want, want to do that. I want to see the, the Milky Way really clearly. Yeah, I mean, seeing the, violin, seeing the plankton itself... It's, it's a clue that you can see anything that you need to see in the night on its own. I mean, my God, the violet yeah. and kind of... It's, I, can't, I can't describe it. It's not just like, you know, how you see in the pictures. It's not like you see little specks of light because that, that that's very little compared to what was coming in. It was literally, you know, when you see waves and they're kind of foamy at the top? Yeah. Now, whenever that came in, it was like the waves themselves were completely green and in the night. Wow. So it was... Yeah, so that was, it wasn't just like specks of light everywhere. So that, that's what I was more amazed by, by the amount that was there. You know, the amount that your naked eye could see. That was really amazing. Some people have been able to capture this on their cameras. So probably with the Sounds search. Sounds gorgeous. Able, yeah, it was really amazing. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's the first day itself. It's, you know, you, you can't wait for the rest of the days. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. just really something. I think so on day two, you, I think most of us kind of went, were knocked off by like 8.39. I think just on the first day after the flight and, you know, getting used yeah. to the area and after all the trekking. So we were up by 6.30, having breakfast by 7 and just getting ready for the day. And I think about 8 o'clock we left for um, this other place, which is actually an infinity pool, a natural infinity pool. Um, also close up in the mountains, uh, close to the beach, but about two and a half hours away. Like it's a two and a half hour trek, which, and, and it's actually, it was harder than the first day, but it was really lovely because the view you could see. So anytime you turned around, you could see the wonderful blue aqua blue water. Yeah. You could see bottleneck trees by your side and these, and, and it's not just, it's not just boulders that you see. But they're boulders which are like about like four stories tall that are by your side. Wow. So just cut rock. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think, I think um, so Yemen, Sokoto especially, sorry, it has, um, it suffers from hurricanes and typhoons that, hurricanes mostly, that come in this, I think around May, somewhere between May to October. And when these get bad, um, it, it, it can cause quite a lot of damage to the island and the people living on it. So the hurricanes brought in a lot of stuff. So ships that used to be anchored, you know, somewhere off, clo- a little further off in the sea, they've been brought to shore and just kind of dumped there on the beach. Oh, geez. Yeah, full container ships. So, yeah, it, it can get quite scary, it seems like. So everyone's, so in Socotra, just like I think mostly in Yemen, in Yemen mostly I've seen pictures where 
Uh, we understand that houses are mostly made of mud, but some are also made of stone. Whereas in Socotra, all the houses you see are made of stone, just stone, because nothing else can withstand the weather during the rainy season. Well, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, you, so... you wouldn't have a house. <laughs> that's true. And I'll get to a really interesting bit about this guy who lives in a cave who, who thought it the best to hide his family of 15 people in the cave when the cyclone was, when the hurricane was going on about two years ago. Okay. So, yeah, he was crazy. So day two, we're hiking up to this infinity pool, which is amazing. You know, it's just, it's green and it's, it's, it's in brown rock and it's green. And it's one of those natural pools that, you know, you probably see in like pictures of this, of this, um, of, of, you know, these very eco-friendly villas that people try and build. But this is natural and it's out there. And the thing is, it's right at the edge of the rock face because of which you cannot, when you turn around, you can see um, the dragon trees up in the valley, high up. And yeah. in front of you, you can see a whole, um, you can see kind of a little bit of plain land and then blue sea. It's really something. I mean, you, you honestly, it's like a 360 degree view of just amazing flora and fauna and different kinds of, um, geology everywhere very picturesque very much so very much so I, you know I mean we used to come to a point where it's like okay wait I need to take a picture here I need to take a picture there because you, you don't want to lose any of it you don't want to miss any of it you know yeah. so it, it, it's really something it's yeah it's, it's wow so we swam there for a while and then we decided to about like an hour or so and then we decided to go track up a little bit to see our first dragon blood trees that we were going to see Lovely. and they're, they're something. Um, they kind of look like an umbrella for those of you who have not seen it. They kind of look like an umbrella that's been kind of inverted. And it's just got little leaves at the top. Um, it's all, I, I feel like it's evolved because of they don't get damaged so much in the hurricane. I mean, few, we've seen a few that were uprooted, but most of them seem to be able to withstand it. And, and another fact that we, I had no idea of was that these trees are really old. It seems... Like there was a there's a university I, I don't remember the name right now but this university was doing some research and they were claiming that each branch that the tree has signifies that it's 28 years old and so when you actually like count it seems like these trees and and most of the places online too they say these trees are about 750 years old each tree. Jeez. Exactly. I know. I I thought That's I thought really the, ancient. I, I thought the resin was the interesting part, and I was like, my God, these trees. Yeah. That's, that's a lot. Exactly, yeah. And the thing is, I mean, the sad thing is, um, there also, there, there are um, efforts being made to help conserve these because um, people don't really know how to, um, how to grow these anymore. I mean, they're not okay. able, they're, yeah, so they're, they're really trying to conserve and preserve what they have. And it seems like the ones that were being, um, it, that were trying to be grown are kind of eaten by these goats that wander the island everywhere. Yeah. So that's really not been helpful. But that's so that a will... big setback. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true. But the thing is, I mean, it's, you don't feel it as a first timer. You don't feel it because like you see valleys of these trees. So you don't feel like, a, you know, there's, you, you don't see like a small stump of them and you're like, okay, well, someone needs to really do something about this. It, it's really pretty um, good right now as a first timer. So you don't feel it as much, but it's, it's good to know, you know. And of course, everyone who goes is really very respectful 
most of the people that we were with and you know most of the people they've come across to everyone's really a lot of people are a lot more conscious of you know their their impact on nature and especially the ones that that you know that's immediately surrounding them so everyone was pretty conscious everyone was really you know um conscious in terms of like you know not getting rid of any plastic or anything you know that was there but um unfortunately Socotra has a bit of a plastic problem with yeah. the hurricane the trash that comes in from the ocean you see some of the beaches especially you know where the currents meet you see a lot of trash just up on the beaches there was a oh, beach no. that we saw yeah there was it was really it's really sad because honestly one of the towns we went, we were we were going by um there were so many plastic bags from the site i honestly thought like a garbage truck exploded <laughs> it looked <Jeez>. like that <laughs> It was just, it was a lot of plastic. And I was like, what? something exploded. Because, <laughs> and yeah, so, I mean, the next time we went by, we were actually returning to the airport. And then we saw, like, we saw people dressed up and with gloves, you know, and in, in, in suits and kind of like these PPE suits and with gloves and masks and trying to pick these plastic pieces up with tongs. And we were like, okay, well, that's something, you know. But I yeah. think it, it, begs, uh, it begs the question that what's done with the plastic after? Because... I've seen in some countries where they don't really have access to any way to, you know, dump this. They burn the plastic because that's how they think they're going to get rid of it best. Uh, <laughs> I'm yeah, not kidding. The, the fumes from burnt plastic aren't, aren't amazing. The melted plastic it, isn't amazing. Which is, which is what you would think is common knowledge. But I've seen <clears> this even in India. I, I was in there in November. And um, so there was this mountain where I was at and there were a couple of stalls on the top. You know, it, it's kind of a pilgrimage site. And you can see these people who live there, they've collected the trash and they're nicely setting fire to it. And I, I remember me and my dad were like, uh, guys, um, that's not, I was like, I was like, can you step away? Cause that's really dangerous. They're like, then what do you, well, we have to burn it. I was like, well, no, you, that's not the best. I mean, I, it, it's surprising to us. It was really surprising to us that people didn't know that doing that can and how harmful it is. Yeah. No, so I, I suppose, yeah, you, it's a good point. If they don't have a recycling centre on the island, are they just going to put it back into the, the system? Exactly. Are they just going to make it turn up on someone else's peach? Uh, so it's got, it's, got, <laughs> it's got a little bit of that problem, but, and, and, and a lot of trash comes in with the hurricanes too. But on the other hand, you see trash um, on one side, and then you saw, we, we saw like whale bones, which were about six feet tall, because it was honestly sitting upright almost. Uh, six feet tall whale bone like the tailbone kind of wow. just there on the beach it was kind of yeah brought ashore um hundreds of dead puffer fish so if you're wearing slippers you get one of all these wonderful um bones stuck in your slippers oh jeez <laughs> they're littered everywhere they're not even an inch apart that's how many there were on that beach but this isn't every beach though this is this is just the... no. there was just that one part of that island though because yeah. i think Currents met, and then that's where a lot of the yeah. stuff collected. So there was only one place, but the other ones, they're they're pristine, they're spotless. There's there's nothing on them. It it looks like there's no human has been there before you. Yeah, very much. Very so, much. so what's next then? So we we went to the uh, infinity pool that was amazing, and I think that was the day that we also went to the beach, um, yeah. where we it was the westernmost point of the island. It was lovely to see the sunset from there and going on to the next day we we packed up we moved camp to this other place called Dihamri which is kind of a place okay. for um a lot of people go snorkeling there it seems um personally I didn't find it the best um having been to Fiji I, I feel like it was a lot more it was flourishing a lot more there the flora and fauna underwater but um this was not bad I, I guess a lot of people go fishing here too 
And I'm not into that, but I, I hear that there are a lot of different kinds of fishes that you won't find in many other places that exist in the in the waters around Socotra. So that was something. It was a pretty chill day. It was one of the only places with um, an actual shelter, which was basically just honestly just a shelter. Like there were two walls on each side and like a kind of kind of just straw on the top of it. And it was still nice to have that kind of shelter, I think, after two days. Um, I think as a group also, we had these pump showers that you can get from Decathlon. So it was also the first day we showered. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, I mean, but you're swimming in the sea every day. And I think, yeah, yeah it was, and it's not yeah, the end of the world. Yeah, and I think the fresh water, they buy this. So it wasn't, it wasn't too bad. I mean, yeah, you had the amenities when you needed them. Um, Duhamir is pretty pretty chill. We we snorkeled. We there was, and the thing is, throughout Socotra, you see the, the landscape change, like the, even the color of the rock, the color of the soil in the rock. The place where we're at just now, it was completely red. It was like red soil and red rock, and the place before was like really like slate gray. So the contrasts are really apparent when you're, especially when you're driving from one place to another. It's really something. This, this wow. is pretty, a, a, yeah, it was a pretty chill day. And the next day we went to Hadibo. This was kind of like a mid-break in the middle of the week. So we went to Hadibo, which is the main, uh, which is the capital. And we had lunch there. We met the agency owner again. They're really, they're really a friendly bunch. So, you know, I mean, you're also the only tourist on the island. So I think each time there are probably just about 20 tourists on the island. So, you know, I mean, they know which groups are moving around. Everyone's really nice. They're welcoming. Of course, you do get a few stairs because uh, they're not very used to tourists coming in in the past few years. Um, yeah. But but it's a nice walk around for people who are, who, who you know, for people that this is really new to the kind of, it, it's, an, it's, an, it's a regular town with roads and, you know, people and the cars. Most people own SUVs, the people that who, who do own vehicles, most people own SUVs and sort of small lorries. I think it's mostly, you know, in terms of, to do with their business in terms of transporting stuff and around the island, but it, it was okay. We could have done without, but it was it was it was a nice walk and it was kind of eye opening. Went to the market where they were selling fresh fish, probably caught that day, so that was something that was really interesting. And um, that after after having lunch in a restaurant. Now in the restaurant there, the they're very small, and everyone mostly sits on the on on mats on the floor, so it was pretty interesting. And most of the culture people, it seems. Like, so if you have a group of seven, eight people that you're sitting with, you're all going to eat from the same plate. So there's this big plate that's brought off, full of rice and probably some, you know, um, some meat with it. And it's all in one plate in a heap. And everyone eats from the same place, which is really lovely to see. Yeah. It's, it's a bit... I mean, I wouldn't try <laughs> with people you don't know. You know, I mean, but, but that reminded me of something that I'd seen in India a while ago where... Um, a family was eating together and honestly they have, they have these huge plates with a lot of different stuff so I, I guess it's not it wasn't the most I wasn't the most it wasn't the most unheard of to me but it was really nice to see like all these people just without any hesitation just digging in and eating together and this is it's a nice feel yeah it was, it was really lovely to see we we ourselves had different plates that were offered to us and um, I think to be to be real honest I think at the beginning we were a bit skeptical because it didn't look um, the best because there was you know food on the floor because everyone's sitting on the mat and stuff it wasn't really clean so I think we showed some hesitation before but the, but the group organizer he's like well I've eaten plenty of times before you'll be fine and I think once we sat down we, we got we got we were okay it, yeah it seemed I could believe fine people made space for us and we found a spot to stay at and it was it was absolutely fine it was a nice experience at the end of the day it was nice to have and um, after that we set off to the south which has basically I think about a kilometer or two 
uh, into the into uh, inland of um, sand dunes. So that was again a whole different change from having like sand dunes behind you and huge ones. These were just more like small mounds of sand, but it was really lovely to see them against the sunset. And I think as we reached, the cars dropped us off um, at a spot which was closer inland, and then they drove off to near the sea where our campsite was. And we were to walk the rest of the part. It was it was lovely because we could see the sunset while walking there. And not many cars travel that way. So, you know, the towns that we do travel through, uh, you know, they're really small. It's literally like you'll have like five side, five houses on each side of the road. And that's that's a town. So it's, it's really lovely because everyone's mostly out. And so the children figured, you know, they figured that they're tourists. So they came running. It was nice because you could see these little specks of people coming, running all the way across the sand and, you know, trying to come closer. <laughs> yeah, they were, they were lovely. And they were, they were really um, kind of, they were, they were keeping the distance at first. Cause, and then our guide explained to us that it's because of the cameras. They don't want to be shot. So, you know, if we, if we hit the cameras and we told them that we weren't going to touch them at all, that's when they would come closer. Especially the, the females are really, really particular about that. Most men don't have a problem at all being shot. And of course, we, are, we used to ask everyone before. But the children are really, really careful about that. Right, but, okay. um, yeah, it was, it was nice to see. And it was, it was funny because at one point we were all sitting together on one side, our group. And then you had the children facing front, in front of us, uh, sitting facing us. And um, they, they were trying to talk to us. But like the moment we'd kind of moved our hand to the camera, even if like one of us just picked up to see the time, thinking like, guys, uh, let's go, you know, they, they ran away. It was like, oh, no, 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 we're not getting the camera. <laughs> Relax, because we really wanted to, you know, have some discourse with them. Some, You know, we just wanted to talk to them a little bit. Yeah. It was nice, yeah. Um, I brought some bubbles, because I actually work in, 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 in the education industry here. So okay. bubbles are always a crowd pleaser. I actually wanted to bring along some shoes and sandals, you know, because I figured it's, it's, it's not really... It's not really very readily and easily available there, stuff like that. I thought, you know, especially with kids, you know, because you're on the rocks and stuff, I thought that would be something that would be helpful. But I didn't really have time because, honestly, I, I'd planned, um, I'd planned to go, I planned to go five days before I actually went, so I didn't really have much time. But I got yes. bubbles, and, and the guide said, you know what? They may have never seen bubbles before. I'm not oh, really. Wow. I was like, wow, yeah. So it's something it, they didn't have there. Yeah, and and yeah, and that's the thing you you don't really think of that because these towns, even Hadibo and something, you 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 cross them in like ten minutes, you know, and it's just all these one or double story buildings with probably like a shop below and then a house on top or you know houses on the other side, but that's it, you know, nothing much is open. It's it's not like a proper town where you could walk in and go like, okay, I would like to pick up this. There's there's no market plus per se, you know, and the only market's like a food market. So yeah, it was it was it really struck me when it was like he said, you know, that's probably the first time they've seen them. I was like, wow, and I had some to give away. So, uh, yeah, I gave them away at every place that I could. It was really lovely. We have wonderful pictures of the kids, like, jumping up, and the wind's always blowing, so it was lovely to just... The wind did the work, and the kids came running from everywhere. It was really Absolutely, nice to see. Absolutely, yeah. Well, um, I can guarantee it's a hit with my, my four-year-old daughter. <laughs> every time I, I get was, the bubbles out, it's like exactly. the second last time. Exactly, and who doesn't so. love them? <laughs> yeah, who doesn't love them? The sunset on the dunes, as I feel like many people have seen them, but I've not really been to many dunes myself. But this, it was, it was really nice, and it was really nice again to just be completely surrounded in just sand, and you know, um, having a few bushes around, and and just having the blanket of stars again. It was a little bit cloudy that night at some point, but when it wasn't, you just had the bonfire in front of you. You know, it gets a little cold in the night in the time that we were there in Jan, so it was really nice to you know warm 
be you know snuggle up with the person next to you and mm. just sit there eating popcorn by the bonfire and the semi music playing in the background it's really lovely we, we had a lovely time all throughout um, the next day we finally moved I think we, did, we didn't spend too much time in the sand dunes we did just that with the sunset and the next day just for a bit and uh, when we left we all decided to stand outside. I mean, like kind of hang off the side of the car, which was really nice. It's like fan surfing, but on the car. Yes. <laughs> that was nice when we left. And I mean, from all parts, even when you're driving, you know, um, it, it's comfortable enough where you're not squashed in the middle or something in a car where, you know, each, every person has like a window view. So you kind of don't know where to look. You know, you don't want to miss anything. It's, it's really nice. Um, that day we moved towards Dixon Plateau. Dixon Plateau is where we saw the most amount of dragon blood trees. And as you kind of go up, drive up to the plateau, you see these kids who come running to you, like about four or five kids, and they, they've already taken the resin and it's hardened and they, they give it to you in plastic bags. And it's, it's a few, it's, it's very few Yemeni money that, that, you know, our drivers helped pay for us. They would, they, our drivers were really, really nice too. So they took care of us in every possible way. They just were like, take it, it's okay, we'll pay for it, you know. And even oh, after lovely. insisting, they were like, no, 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 please, just take it. So, yeah, everyone got to bring back some dragon's blood. And it, it's great because, you know, the moment you can even just try cutting a tree. I don't think um, it, it, it's, I don't, I don't think there's a problem as in, in terms of supply. At this point, it's not like people are taking too much. It's just a few yeah. drops that you can take. It's lovely. I hear that people, uh, women there use it for makeup. Um, they also use it. Um, it's got, it's, it's apparently got a lot of medical benefits. So they, the people there use it re regularly, but um, they don't really sell much for you to be able to take away because the, the the hardened ones that they do sell, um, it's yeah, it's not much. So, I, but but dragon blood dragon blood resin is available online. So, for people who really and a concentrated version, so people who are really you know looking for benefits from that can do that. But it's really nice to see where it comes from, and it and it's it's so close to blood, you know, you can fool yeah. anyone with it. Yeah, it's it's really it's really nice to see. Um, the place that we stayed honestly that day and that night was the only place where we had toilets. <laughs> it was, it was, yeah, because the thing is, these, before the civil war started, these people were trying to um, build some spots for the tourists, like in terms of small resort, resorts and then, um, you know, just some facilities here and there. But um, as the war started, some of it, um, they've not really completed most of them. So this is one functioning toilet that we used in the first, I mean, it was the first one that we used in four days, uh, which was nice. But honestly, I think the moment I stepped in the shower, I remember thinking, man, I don't like these four walls around me. You get to that point, honestly. <laughs> you get very used to it quite quickly. Yeah, you, you get to being, you know, you get you get different sites every day. You don't want to be covered in four walls. And, this, and, and, it, and the groups are so small, and you have all the privacy you need, you know. I mean, that's never an issue. So it's just really nice. It's, it's, it's I, really I've nice. heard on, on Mount Kilimanjaro uh, in, in Tanzania, um, they, they use the language, I need to send a text and I need to send a fax. And then that gives, gives an idea of which one you're going for and then let's let the group know how much time you need. <laughs> it's true. We had a funny story one day, um, just two nights before this. Um, we were, we were, so every night, like, you know, since I told them about, since I found out about the, the waves that were there in the night, the violence and plankton, um, I'd kind of, we, we all sit by the beach for like a minimum of two hours before returning to the campsite, you know, just watching the waves. Every night yeah. we did this because we were by the sea all the time. Um, so the third night that we were there, we went to Dihamri. It so happened that one of the girls from my group, or there were six of us, 
so she was also from the UK and she the thing was she was walking off into into she was walking off from where we were and it seemed like she needed to use the facilities but we didn't know that we thought because we decided to go to the beach so we thought she was leading the way yeah. <laughs> and then we following <laughs> so we're a good like 20 30 meters behind her and so every time she, she turned around twice she's like uh, uh, we just we, we thought she was leading the way so we kept following her so she's like guys so we were like uh, she's like where are you going we're like to the beach she's like okay and then she, she kept walking ahead and then we walked after her and she's like guys I need some privacy and <laughs> it's like she, she actually started to squat at some point and and we were like and you know she's seeing and then she's so from her point of view, she was seeing these five people wearing headlights walking right towards her. And then she was trying to go away and then walking right towards her. So that guys were like, whoopsie, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. But yeah, you get used to it real quick. And it's, yeah, it's not the worst, I say. It's, it's nice. It's a nice experience to have. So when we were back in Dixam, we, um, yeah, you spent, it's lovely to spend some time amongst the trees. And you're high up in, a, in, in, on the, in the mountains, yeah, so... For night photography, I mean, if it's a if, if it's clear skies, it's really nice to get a picture of the trees in the night with the backdrop, you know, of the sky and the stars. It's yeah, it works out really, really well. It's really something, especially if you've got the moon. Then, yeah, some people got really good pictures. Yeah, um, it's it's nice because you know some other people from other groups too. They came and they sat there at the camp, and it's it's lovely just having the atmosphere. It's like very Bedouin-y, you know, in the way that you know everyone's sitting together. There's food being shared, there's tea being shared, you know, dinners together. And, and at the end of the day, at the, at the end of a long day, we've probably, you know, done quite a bit of physical activity and food. You're certainly looking forward to it. Yeah. And we just actually go to sleep after because we'd be tired. But it was, it's just really a nice routine that we had set in. Yeah, um, yeah it, was, it was lovely. So the next day, one of the last two days that we had, we went to the highlight, at least for me, of the trip, which was... Um, Detour Lagoon. So Detour Lagoon is um, it's it's surrounded by sand. It's surrounded by by mountains. Well, hills on one side, and it's got sand. It's got like a sandbar all the way till all the way ar- around it. And there's only a small little um, opening where the seawater comes in to the lagoon, uh, which obviously makes it a lagoon. So that that <laughs> bit that, that bit that you can see from Google Maps if you zoom in. And from the top of those mountains is amazing. And that was actually the reason I wanted to go to Socotra. I'm crazy after beaches. So a nice beach and I'll go there. So for four years, I was I was waiting. And just, this is the beach I wanted to go to. My God, to walk in that lagoon. And with the different colored water, that would change. It's something. And it's and because it's surrounded by the hills, like that side of, the, that side of land, it's surrounded by hills. The view from up high, along with, you know, being right in front of it or being in the lagoon it's it's unmatched it's really something so we we had a lovely view as we drove up because we drove up by this side um, of of the mountain and we could see it from the top first before we went down we walked across it and to to be there i think for me especially for me finally to have been there i remember saying saying as i got out of the car i was like my god i've waited five years it was lovely It it was something you know, I mean, we, I think we didn't move from where the, the point where our car stopped just to let us have a have a glimpse of it before we went to the campsite. We didn't move somewhere from like an hour because it was just something. And most people we've seen, I mean, most of the pictures I'd seen before were of people arriving there when it was nice and sunny. But the time that I went there, um, it was cloudy. But you know, 
my god, the color. And, and the sand is so bad. The sand's white. And then you've got these rocks that are popping out um, of the hills, which are gray. And then you've got this cool blue water against it. It's not like other beaches. It, it's just really, really nice. And friends, luckily, had a blue picture of us walking by the beach while he was on top of one of the hills. It's lovely. You should go to Instagram later and see it. It's a really lovely contrast of colors. So the next two nights we spent there, um, I think that the first day itself, we just relaxed at the campsite, had dinner, walked around. And it's what's unique about this place also is that this campsite and almost part of, it seems like this lady, her name's Sadia, she owns that land around the lagoon, which is really refreshing, you know, exactly, in, 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 a, in a country that's mostly governed by Muslim laws and, you know, they're... Um, and where also women are mostly covered up, the local women especially, they're mostly covered up. It's nice to see that a woman is empowered to be able to do such. So she's had that line for the longest time. And um, she's a campsite where most tourists stay. Um, it, it's lovely. Her house is also right next to it. Um, oh. you know, she provides, yeah, she provides people with food, you know, if they're not with a tour group in the sense that if someone's living there and come there for a long time. She's really lovely, and and she maintains the upkeep of the. She manages the upkeep of the campsite in terms of you know building more shelters, all of that. There's a toilet that's there. It's 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 got no it's got no ceiling, but it's got walls. <laughs> I guess that's that incredible. was yeah, that was really nice. Um, yeah, it's just to explore, and so right by the side of our campsite, um, there were these there were there were more hills, um, and in them, like right towards the beach. We went to visit this guy, his name's Eliah, also called Abdullah, who lives in a cave there. Now, this is a plain, simple cave that he lives in. Um, it wasn't more than 20 meters deep, uh, like inwards. And um, it, it opened up beautifully to the view of the lagoon with trees in front of it, the bottleneck trees in front of it. And so Abdullah has been living there for the past 15 years in that cave. He's got... Jeez. He's just got a mat, he's got a couple, he's got a chair, he's got some plastic that he's collected from the ocean in terms of like, he's got this big container, like a barrel almost, that's about the size of five barrels, that he keeps his water <laughs> in, his fresh water in. Yeah, and, and Abdullah invited us for lunch. And it's lovely to see because, he, because everything he's cooked, he, he, had, he had squid, um, he, um, he had fish, he had lobster for these guys. And all of it was served in clamshells, which is beautiful to see. Oh, really? Yeah. He cooked all of this himself, and he invited us for lunch. And it's just, I mean, I have pictures of it, too. It's this guy, you, you walk, and, you, you know, you, cr you go over rocks. You kind of, it's a little bit of a trek to him over the rocks and by the sea. But when you reach it and you see this cave opening and he's there, you know, he's just wearing this kind of... Um, so the Yemeni men mostly don't really wear pants, more or less. The traditional dress is more of a sarong type, um, which also is very readily available. And a lot of people, a lot of us picked it up because they've got really beautiful, intricate designs in them. So he's wearing mm. one of those and shirtless. And you can see that his hair is a little matted and it's a little long and it's matted. So And he, and he speaks wonderful English. So that was great because you could just lie there. So the thing is, after people have lunch, you know, it's, it's lovely lunch. And then, you know, you could just lie in his cave, spend the afternoon with him. If you want, if you want to go for a hike, he'll take you, you know. So everyone decided to do different things. It was just really nice. Um, and after like about two hours, 
he led us into the lagoon. So I had, right before you enter the lagoon, you see this small little raft that he's made for himself, which is really nice. It's, 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 it's refreshing to see all of this stuff, you know, I mean, when you come from a city and then you've got, you know, even, you don't, you don't see stuff like that, especially for me. You know, it's really refreshing to see this. It's literally properly made of logs and he had two plastic pipes that he'd salvaged from some shipwreck before that he'd put together and made a raft for himself, which was properly functional, apparently. <laughs> wow. It was nice to see. So he led us into the lagoon. And so he, because he's been living there for that long, um, he's made some friends. <laughs> he, <laughs> I, I kid you not, in that whole lagoon, he knew exactly where to find the octopus. And this octopus is apparently, well, we've been told, is apparently his friend. So the octopus doesn't let anyone touch him except for Abdullah. Yeah, it, it squirts ink the moment, I mean, if, you know, if someone does. But with Abdullah, he's completely friendly. He's going up his arm. He's got his tentacles around his body. It's really nice. And we didn't really, we weren't expecting the size of it because each tentacle was about an, an, a grown man's um, arm length. So it was, oh, it was wow. a, yeah, it was a big octopus. And, big boy. And, yeah, and, and, and the space that he, he took it out from, we, we expected a very small one. It was like a small little rock that he pulled out from behind. And my God, it was it was humongous for the amount of space that you know that we could see under the water. But it was it was nice. Um, Abdullah picks up sea urchins in front of you. He picks up um, pufferfish. So this Abdullah, what he'll do is he'll just he's he's pufferfish and he picks them up from the water, and they're properly blown up by that time. So you have a picture of this man looking at you with holding a pufferfish in his bare hands. And apparently it's, yeah, it's apparently safe to hold them, you know, under their belly from the bottom. So a few of us tried it too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, was, it was cute. And, and, and as he puts the pufferfish down, you know, you see them deflate. It's the funniest sight ever because they're deflating really slowly. And they've got their tiny little fins that they're trying to swim away with all their might. <laughs> and, and, and they move like two inches in like three seconds. <laughs> so <laughs> it's hilarious. I mean, just imagining that, like, you know, these puffers <laughs> deflating, and then you can see them frantically trying to get away, but it's, like, really slow. <laughs> it was nice, it was nice. But, you know, I mean, he, he seems really careful with them, and, and the tourists don't touch them either. So, you know, as much as we can, we're really watching where we step in that way because they've got all sorts of stuff on the floor, on, on the sea floor. They, they, he had sea urchins that he picked out that he just cracked open later and then gave these guys to eat, so these guys are really i mean i'm vegetarian but these guys seem to love it there was um oysters that we did fresh ones wow these people seem to like have a feast right there he's he's so and then that's where most of our lunch came from too that afternoon it was a lovely walk with him i think um he also gets dolphins to come in sometimes in the lagoon when the tide's high oh, and cool. yeah and he's got right at the right at the entrance of his cave um he's got whale bones so i think it belongs i think it's from the jaws that he set up as handrails to his to his cave. <laughs> it's it's a funny sight to see, but it's really something. And there's also a dead car. He found a carcass of a dolphin at some point. So he's got like the full skeleton sitting outside his cave. So Jeez. yeah, yeah, it's That's incredible. Like, yeah, it's, it's really something else. You know, it's not like a he, he's got nothing. And the thing is, he's lived there. Well, he does have a town. He does have a house in the town nearby, which is called Kalantia. He has a house there, and he's married and everything. And his wife lives there. 
she also has 12 children. So he finds it very funny to tell what he does. He finds it very funny to tell all the tourists. When my wife calls me at night, then I go. <laughs> and so he's got 12 children. And it so happened, we heard, that when one of the, one of the seasons, one of the rainy seasons, when, um, the, um, when the cyclones are coming really bad, he took his whole family and he hid them in the cave. Well, he kept them sheltered in the cave for two months. Because according to him, this was the best way to protect them. Yeah, well, it's not a bad shout. The, the cave hasn't moved for years. <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. But the thing is, you know, I mean, just in terms of food and everything, that would I would have, I imagine that would have been something. But just to imagine instead of, you know, kind mm. of going to a place which, which is probably more sturdy infrastructure, you know, probably more a building or something that they could have done. But no, nope, he, he chose to bring them to the cave and well, put on him for that. Very Sorry. unique experience. Hey? Very much so. Yeah. So that was, um, Abdullah's great. And we went back to the camp that day. And um, I think all in all, the last day we spent, you know, just kind of reeling in and not wanting to return. It was <laughs> beautiful seven days, eight days with like different sites each day. It's truly paradise in the way that, you know, the whole island, so much of it is so pristine and so untouched. You have to go there once. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Beautiful. So, so before we get to any wrap-up questions, then, is there anything else we need to know other than other than we have to go? <laughs> about, um, about I think one of the things is um, sometimes, well, I know, like, just logistically, people have face, face trouble um, reaching the island. Um, they're, they're a little, so it, it, it's, a little, it's a little funny the way it works. So each flight that goes into Socotra needs um, approval and, you know, a permits from... from from whichever authority body uh, and that happens every week so at that point if you don't get one if you're if if that if that um if that group of passengers not given one even though you're at Seyun, you'll have to return back Jeez. that's okay. happened about twice or thrice and that was last year i mean most of them have been going smoothly since then and as of now of course all flights to the island well that only flight to the island has been stopped um, Yemenia is the only flight that flies there, and I think the way to book tickets it's only through a local operator because you, you don't really you're not going to be able to find them online and all that. Yeah. But um, yeah, so it's it's a bit dicey, but um, I I think the statistically, I mean, it's kind of like ten percent. So yeah, it's not the worst, but there's some uncertainty because your stopover you, is it's supposed to be an hour. We ended up waiting for five hours. There's really no telling when when you'll fly, but you know that's just part of it. But that's just part of the world that you're in. It, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. not New York. Mm -mm. So. Well, yeah. Although, arguably, they keep you waiting. Yeah, I was just well, so. <laughs> <laughs> It's say. not... <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not modernized Western, <laughs> Western flying. How's that for a correction? <laughs> yes, absolutely. I think the one thing that I met, I met someone on the plane when I was returning that I was talking to. Um, they had found some, so he was working with the archaeological uh, society that had found um, some cave paintings and basically some kind of like engravings on rocks, which are like a few thousand years old. And they were in the process of collecting and, you know, basically documenting them. Mm. And I was like, wow, that was pretty cool. And it was right next to the capital city. So, I mean, well, I, I mean, it was too late to go back and see them. But he had, he had pictures. So, I, and I hadn't read about them or heard about them at all in, in my research before going there. But I think that would be something that was really interesting. If I go back, that's certainly I'm going to go see them. 
Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Perfect. So, uh, what yeah. surprised you the most about the islands? Do you think? Um, for me, actually, it was just the the plankton. <laughs> <laughs> Because you see, I'd waited four long years to go there. And in those four years, every few months, I would go to Instagram, I would go to Facebook, and I would try and find people who'd been there recently to try and find a way to get to the island, you know. Yes. So in that time, I found out a lot about the island. <laughs> so Because that's, that's, that's what I was, I was going to be interested to see what you answered with, because you, you had clearly done so much research. It, uh, it was going to be interesting to see if there was anything that surprised you. But, uh, but yeah, the plankton, okay. Yeah, planting um, was there. Yeah, but I think just for me also, just um, because I I love taking photographs, so you know, I mean, while while you you know what you're gonna see in a way, and which I don't mind personally, because I knew people on the trip who were with me who were like, well, we haven't really searched anything, we have no idea what we're coming for, blah, blah, blah. we just know it's a cool place. Um, I knew what I was going for, but it doesn't cease to amaze you. Perfect. Yes. And you've you've done all the research into the country. You've had the passion and the interest to go. Uh, you've now been there for a week. What's one thing that you would do differently, if anything? Um, I would make sure <laughs> I visited this place called Kalisan. It's a okay. little gorge, um, and and it's 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 surrounded by the most beautiful white coloured rock, and the water in the middle is completely like an emerald green. And I saw pictures of that after, but it was not included in my trip itinerary. And another thing that we missed, which was also part, which was part of our itinerary, was a trip to a beach called Shoab. We couldn't go because the waters weren't um, the condition. The, weather, the water wasn't um, well; it wasn't um, settled enough for us to go with the fishermen. But that beach is a 10-mile-long beach, untouched, as in there's there's no one who lives there, and it's it's truly lovely. 10 miles of white sand. I, I would have loved to go there, and and you have to you can only get there by boat, and there are a lot of dolphins that you see almost without fail, also whale sharks sometimes, so that's oh, something wow. that we missed. So I certainly have to go back for that. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, well, there, there's a good good reason to. And I suppose uh, just to to finish up on on this question, and I'll genuinely be interested just to hear what your answer is. Uh, I don't think I could put money on which one it would be, but if you could relive one moment, what would it be? The plankton. Sorry, no, I'm really taken by the plankton. Actually, there's not only one. There's the plankton, and it's the first sight I had of Ditwa Lagoon. Because, right. yeah, having seen that in pictures, and, you know, just the, the, the amount of amount of yearned to actually be there, standing there, yeah. that was something. And, and, and the thing was, I, I remember I, I don't really fall asleep in, in, during travel, but I had that time in that car. I'd slept off, and so my driver gently woke me, and he said, "It's there." And the, and I, the moment I opened my eyes, I saw like the blue surrounded in the white. I mean, covered by the oh, white sand on wow. the side. So that was something that I would love. I would love to go back to. Yeah, I envy anyone who sees it for the first time again. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Perfect. Well, Rachna, thank you so much for coming on and, and speaking to us about about your your lovely island. <laughs> I've loved it, and um, for anyone who's wanting to look at pictures too, yes, you can of course, check yeah. out. Well, we'll... Yeah, sure. You can check out my Instagram handle. That's Rachna Sunder. So R A C H N A S U N D E R, 
Um, you can check out um, the pictures there. I've got a lot of information on my profile too in my highlights. And also reach out to me if you want to find a way to go there. I think so. The best season to go there is from October to May because all the other times it's the rainy season. So basically from May onwards all the way till October. Mm -hmm. So these are the seasons it's open in, but it's a lovely place to be. Perfect. Rachna, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me, Chris. An incredible journey there. I've really, really loved hearing about Yemen. It's a place that she's right. It's, it's not somewhere I've thought about going for on holiday. I hope you enjoyed that session just as much as I did. If you would like to come onto the show and have a chat about some of your travels, you are more than welcome to give me an email or reach out to me on all the platforms, uh, Instagram, Twitter, and email. That's btmtravelpod at gmail.com for the email. Any questions, any corrections, let me know. Otherwise, I hope you enjoyed it, and I look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Bye.